Hey folks, Jeff Salzman here and welcome to The Daily Evolver. Today my guest is Vince Horn, co-founder of Buddhist Geeks, the popular podcast, and teacher for the practice community Pragmatic Dharma. Here's my conversation with Vince. All right, man. So, hey, Vince. Hey, <laughs> great to see you. Great to see you, too. We just went on a technical odyssey, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it has been a while. Uh, uh, we worked together at the Integral Institute with Ken Wilbur and the gang yeah. back in, what, 2006, something like that? I was there from 04 to 06. Yeah, and I was there from 04 to 07. So there you go. Yeah. So it was fun. Yeah, it was a wild ride. Yeah. So then you left and you went on to make quite a splash by co founding and hosting the podcast Buddhist Geeks, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at that and I had no idea that you did, first of all, 400 podcasts, yeah. but that they were downloaded 10 million times. At least, probably, probably more than that now. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah. So then, so then you did the Buddhist Geeks Conference for yes. like four years and, and had yeah. a thousand people attending those. Yeah. And, uh, and now you're continuing with the Buddhist Geeks podcast. Yes. After right? a little hiatus. Yeah. I, I did want to mention too that um, Buddhist Geeks really came out of um, Berkeley Integral Institute for sure. And I was trying to figure out how to do a project where, you know, at the time we were talking about big I, little I, integral. I was trying to figure out how to like make integral real without using integral language. So that was the whole, you know, impetus behind Buddhist Geek. So this whole last 12 years has been trying to like live into the vision and the kind of intuition that I had working with you at Integral Institute. So, oh, well, that's, yeah, that's good to hear. And, you know, me taking too. that long. <laughs> yeah, I know. Taking that long to start to kind of even grasp a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said that because my audience is we're the integral, we're the integral geeks. So you could talk as integrally as you want. Sure. And I, um, and I really appreciate, even as I'm, you know, listening to your stuff and, and reading it, the you know, integral sensibility. It's just, you know, it's it's fragrant with it. So I love that part. And what I'd like to do is, you know, just talk about what you're up to now. And I read and watched some of your teachings, your oh, videos cool. and, and read your stuff on your website. And I got to say, man, I'm impressed. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you. you're a beautiful transmitter of the Dharma. And you've become kind of a new kind of teacher in the sense that you're doing it virtually. Yeah. And that is itself interesting to me because it's a new emergent of how we do community and how we do Sangha and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. So I'll stop there mm -hmm. and just let me uh, let you tell us a little bit about what you're up to. Thanks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, what, what I and, and we, because I've got a number of colleagues that I'm working with and um, partners, my wife, Emily, who I teach with, and my old co-host, Ryan Olke, who's kind of coming back into the fold. So we have the podcast and that's kind of ongoing, you know, 400 episodes and just keeps, you know, stacking up. Um, and then, yeah, teaching, uh, trying to figure out how to teach, um, how to use the internet, how to avoid, like, how to empower people and get people 
know, support them in their kind of DIYing their path, but doing it interdependently um, and really kind of sitting in my seat as a teacher, but then also recognizing that, you know, there's all, there's all sorts of things I'll, I miss and don't understand and, you know, constantly fucking up on right um, <laughs> a daily basis. So yeah, just working with those paradoxes and trying to kind of gradually, you know, try new things, see what works and keep, you know, keep iterating basically. Yeah. You talk about the, um, interpersonal interdependency of being a student and how you, you really need that peer group. Yeah. And it's hard. I mean, what I, what I like about what you're doing as I understand it is um, well, first of all, I, I love what you were talking about in one of your videos about how meditation ought to come with a warning label. Yeah. Because there are side effects and they're not always good. Right. And especially if you're on your own, if you're a freelancer, like I was, yeah. and I was self-taught and, you know, I went to this teaching and that teaching and I went to this retreat and I went to that retreat and I just didn't stick with any teacher, any one teacher, mm -hmm. uh, Shins and Young for quite a while, but you know, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Where I was doing maybe two retreats a year with him, mm. but, um, I did get into trouble. In the mm. sense that I became, he, he always talked about mindfulness and equanimity. So mm. mindfulness being just this ever more precise awareness of your experience, you know, in ever finer detail. And in equanimity, allowing it to arise and do its thing and watch it and don't get attached and second by second, moment by a moment. And I was really good with the first, <laughs> as it uh -huh. turns out, nice. but not so good with the second. Uh, and actually developed a anxiety disorder mm. um, that I, you know, I'm not blaming it on the meditation, but it didn't certainly didn't help me. And I, and I actually think that it was problematic because yeah. I would sit, I, I you know, do my meditation and just become ever and ever more exquisitely aware of my dysfunction and pain. <laughs> right. And there it was. And, you know, then I started with all kinds of hypochondria and so forth. And I realize now that, you know, I was never going to be the guy who went off and got the orange robes and uh, turned my life over. That just wasn't going to be me. I mean, there are people who yeah. do that. Terry Patton, you know, went off the thought he got at Tahiti and all of that. God bless him. And, you yeah. know, came back with a lot of treasure. But that wasn't going to be me. Uh, but... What would have helped, and I think saved me a lot of trouble, was if I had hooked up with what you're doing, actually. Pragmatic Dharma, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you have a group, and it's virtual. And yeah. So how would that work? Yeah, so this, this has been the most recent kind of um, iteration of uh, our teaching online, and um, it's... I mean, it's very simple in that there's two components. One is kind of a weekly group meeting um, that I facilitate. You know, there's, it's limited to 12 people. I've got a, like four cohorts that I'm working with. So 50 people total in the training. And then we also meet privately one-on-one. -on -one. Um, that's the second component. And we essentially uh, steer, dynamically steer each month based on what people are interested in exploring. 
Um, and so each month we kind of explore a theme. Last month we explored the, the four jhanas, the concentration absorptions. Um, the first month we explored uh, noting meditation uh, and social noting in particular. Um, and then next month it looks like we're going to be exploring metta uh, practice. And so, um, you know, we're just kind of collectively steering uh, the ship and I'm sort of taking the lead in terms of like actually pushing the rudders and, mm-hmm. um, you know, holding the group and it's working extremely well because people get, they get the relationship and community part, even though it's all online um, and they get the feedback piece so they can improve the quality of their practice instead mm-hmm. of just going like the brute force method where, you know, it's like go retreat after retreat after retreat. And you just keep going until you hit the, you know, this is my approach, <laughs> hit the wall and pass out um, or develop a, dis- you know, develop, go into the deep dark night pit of despair. And, right. um, you know, then eventually have to claw your way out of a nasty hole. Well, it's, um, you know, when we think about the evolution of practice and the evolution of these lineages and traditions it feels like it's what's next in a way because um you know we had to rethink this teacher-student relationship yes in these lineages because they worked in traditional societies in the amber altitude of development where you know what people were doing were learning how to discipline themselves basically out of red you know and uh, and so you know these whole traditions uh, formed around that. Yeah. Now that's not to say that you can't you know really consciously and deliberately put yourself into that kind of a container. That can yeah. be really great as long as you know what you're doing. Right. But most people aren't going to do that. And so this this the, the whole idea of authority. Yeah. In, in terms of transmission and lineage, has to be rethought. I agree. You know, and I love what you wrote in one of your descriptions about how what you're trying to do, at least, is have a distributed system of authority. Yeah. And and I, I know you're also doing real live retreats, too, right? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, how does that work? Because, you know, in terms of the evolution of these things, I think I do think it's next. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, and I'm, I'm really curious, you know, to see what's, what it'll look like. I mean, I don't really know what it's, <laughs> that's the itch, but uh, I have some, I don't know. Well, some, let me just, let me just pause and, and, yeah. and bring Rilke in where he yeah, says, you know, we want to love the question. Yeah. It's love question. the question. We love our way into the answer. So you yeah. at least have the, the inquiry set up here. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a great question. Um, well, I mean, I, I've seen what doesn't work. I've seen the attempt to decentralize authority doesn't work in a practice community very well. Um, we, we did that with, the, we had a project called the Buddhist Geeks Community. And we really just kind of, like we designed it so it was centrally designed, but we designed it to be decentralized. So we ended up having people just kind of go off into their own little kind of subgroups, peer-to-peer groups and do their own thing. And very quickly, we had no clue what was going on in our own community and we didn't really like our own community. (laughs) So uh, we shuttered that and, you know, kind of realized that in order to figure out how to distribute authority, we need to start with authority being centralized first and then gradually 
figure out the appropriate ways to distribute the authority so mm-hmm. that we didn't start from a swamp first. Right. And then yeah. hope that something emerged out of that. It was <laughs> right. swampy. It's hard to get out of the swamp. And that's, yeah. you know, we, we often talk about it being the green swamp. It's the, yeah. it's where a lot of progressive spiritual seekers on the path find themselves because yes. we've sloughed off the submission to a teacher thing. I mean, we know we can't do that. Thankfully. But yeah, uh, but we don't know what to do. And I mean, it's green's problem in general with power and authority is, mm. the, you know, the, there's, there's so many allergies to it appropriately because, you know, yeah. Green can see how power has been um, abused for millennia. And they're, you know, working on deconstructing that. Fair enough. But yeah. then we seek a natural hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And I think you actually use those term, that term in, in, in your writing. Yeah. Where, um, you know, people offer what they have. And everybody gets to be, uh, you know, in a fluid kind of a situation. Everybody gets to be the genius uh, in, the, in the way that they are. And other yes. people get to recognize it. Now, that isn't an ideal. And I don't know exactly how we do that. I sometimes think that, you know, from, a, from an integral perspective, when we think about integrating all of what has come before, mm-hmm. this is actually an indigenous kind of a magenta uh, uh, situation yeah. where people, there aren't a lot of rules yet. We haven't really developed a lot of rules. We have customs, we have instincts, we have whatever. But basically in any kind of a situation, we just look for the person who can handle it. I also get the sense that part of the distribution of authority has to do with opening up some of the ways that meditation has been practiced, um, you know, and, and particularly making it less of a solo endeavor and recognizing that actually it's an inner subjective process. And, um, you know, I, I came up in the, in, at the insight meditation society and spirit rock, and they had a, a single model on retreat, uh, for a long time where you come and it's always the same, you know, there's yep. silent, this noble silence and you sit and you walk and you sit and you walk You have a teacher interview for 15 minutes. You hear a Dharma talk in the evening, you know, you know what to expect. It's like going to McDonald's and getting, you know, a big Mac and fries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I came up in the same kind of container through yeah. Naropa and the Boulder Buddhist scene. So yeah. you know, stopping short of Vajrayana, uh, it was basically, you, you come and you do the, uh, a mindfulness meditation. Yeah. And it's, and you know, it's highly systematized yep. and kind of universalized and, um, you know, almost like a franchise model in a way, or, um, like a business that's really trying to like crank through out, you know, crank students through. And as I started teaching myself and working with people online, I, I realized like that was one of the big holes in that system in that, in that community was, um, really being able to kind of have a personal relationship with a teacher in any, in a, in a, in a real way, not just saying like, so-and-so is my teacher, but actually like, no, I can call this person up anytime and talk to them about my practice. And like, I can also maybe even hang out with them sometimes and see, see them interact, you know, outside of this very specialized practice container context, you know, like you would with the Vajrayana master or something like that. Yeah. And, you know, because so much learning happens just from seeing how people embody their own understanding and, and the ways they fall short. Um, yeah. 
Now, do you make yourself available like that as a teacher to your students? I mean, do you see it as a teacher-student thing? Am I using the right terminology? Yeah, I mean, I I guess I, I sort of see, see my role as both teacher and facilitator, you know, with like a kind of an asterisk between. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do see that as the, the main role that I'm in when I teach, you know, when I do that work. Um, and yeah, I do. Well, for me, that kind of really close relationship develops naturally over time. Um, it's like after over years, it seems to become a natural thing. I've, I've experienced that with some of my own mentors and teachers. And I've seen that with people that I've worked with for a number of years that like as their practice deepens and as, you know, as trust is earned um, on both sides, then it just naturally starts to become a more human relationship. And that's one way I think that meditation, teach, meditation teachers or Dharma teachers are different than therapists, you know, because, um, you know, with therapy, there's often, you know, there's these very strong firewalls between, you know, the therapeutic relationship and a human relationship. But for me, those firewalls are useful in the beginning, but then in a way they kind of have to dissolve to have the more profound and deeper kind of mysterious Dharma relationship, uh, the human, you know, human transmission type thing. Um, So I think somehow finding a way to bring that, to make space for that um, is really important in this whole endeavor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To broaden that out, mm-hmm. how do you see where we are as a culture in terms of, all right, I know that's a big question, isn't it? <laughs> but even the cutting edge, even in terms of the, uh, you know, spiritual seekers, mm-hmm. how, where do you see that edge being in a more general way? you know, going back to integral theory, which, which I've really been circling back around to in the last few years, I see the cutting edge being mostly pluralistic uh, of really people starting to ask questions about, you know, what, whose voices are missing in these scenes and um, what have we been overlooking? Why have we been so focused on ourselves and our individual practices instead of society um, and social issues um, so kind of moving out of that sort of individualist mm-hmm. mindset mm-hmm. Um, and grappling with, you know, issues of race and gender and, you know, all these different, all the different identities mm-hmm. that are at play. Um, I mean, I see a kind of, I see the consensus of modern Buddhism break has broken down quite a bit. Um, there used to be a very strong kind of consensus view and there wasn't, there weren't many voices outside of that. I mean, you had some traditionalists, you know, mm-hmm. old Zen masters still hanging around, you know, <laughs> doing their thing, which mm-hmm. was usually to be, to be avoided. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just a lot of times, most of the time it didn't work. You know, there was always a shadow side to it, you know. Major. Yeah. Major yeah. Shadows. And so, you know, it seems like what the cutting edge of the communities I'm part of, they're trying to kind of grapple with with like why that happens and how to prevent it. It's happening big time here with the Shambhala, oh, yeah. you know, the Sakyong, and, oh, yes. it, it, you know, he's part of Naropa. Yeah. He's yep. basically stepped back and it's all because of, um, you know, abuse of women. Yeah. yeah. And and same with uh, Noah Levine, who's in uh, my tradition. He just had his authorization rescinded, you yep. know, uh, by Jack and Spirit Rock, which is a really big deal because of something similar. It's an oft told story. 
Yeah. Yeah. The sex yeah. money, you know, the, the, just the, the taking advantage of students when you have that absolute power kind of thing, when you've taken on your students' karma. Yeah. Oh, baby, watch out. Yeah. And, and I think, too, when, when people start, like the feedback loops start getting wacky and they don't, they don't have feedback coming from outside mm-hmm. of their own, you know, communities anymore, like where they don't, they're not listening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Ah, so, so I get it. So I, the I, cutting I, edge. I, so what do you think about the, um, the state of awakening? Maybe, maybe let me put it this way. Mm-hmm. What do you think Buddhist practitioners are actually doing? You know, what's happening? I, I think they're growing up in the same way that we're all growing up. Um, and they're growing up through their traditions, um, which are usually not just one thing. I mean, most Buddhist practitioners I know are not just Buddhist practitioners. So they, they, they're engaged in a lot of different types of activities. And um, you, you mean in terms of spiritual practices? In terms of everything, but yes, spiritual practice and career and everything across the board. You know, again, and that, that goes back to the, you know, the, the, the emergence of this pluralistic Dharma scene or postmodern Dharma. I, I'll, I'll flash this book because this just came out from Yale University Press and um, Buddhist. Uh, this is by a scholar named Anne Glaig. And she's exploring really the emergence of postmodern Dharma. You're holding up, you're holding up a book called uh, American Dharma. American Dharma, Buddhism Beyond Modernity. Hmm, and interesting. He's, you know, Buddhist Geeks is one of the six case studies here. Um, but there's also a number of others that she's exploring, like the East Bay uh, Meditation Center in Oakland, um, who's really, you know, really focused on people of color and practice in that domain. And she's focused on, you know, the Vipassana scene and how it's changing and evolving and Zen Roshi scandals and, you know, mm-hmm. looking at it from a number of angles and, Going back to the Wilbur's idea of vertical and horizontal enlightenment, I I, I still think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yep. I think I, a lot of so the that's, I, that's waking up and growing up. Yeah, waking up is the horizontal development. That's the state growth, and yes. growing up is the vertical development through stages of uh, development. Yes, what I see is a, is, is is a kind of gradual shift on the you know, on the growing up part. And I'm not sure about the waking up part. You know, I, I, it's hard for me to, to know how that's changed. Um, I, I do think, I do see a lot of people um, making really significant progress in their practice in part because they have access to a lot more information. Um, but then I'm hanging out in a very specific subculture of people that are really interested in making hardcore pr- progress in their practice. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't see that as being, you know, the focus that everyone has or every community has. Um, and then again, you know, what hardcore is and what awakening is also does seem to vary from tradition and community and mm-hmm. teacher to teacher. Right. Um, so there's a whole, there is that multi-dimensionality to awakening as well, um, which comes online with the pluralistic, you know, perspective. Um, you know, Jack Cornfield talked about enlightenments, that there are these different vectors of, of awakening. Um, so I think that's starting to become more appreciated. And, and as it is that people are starting to have more integral looking practices where they are focusing on more, more of themselves or more, more dimensions and not just their personal experience, but the social 
you know, em- embeddedness and, and relationality. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in that sense, it's like a really beautiful flourishing um, mm-hmm. yes. of wisdom. Yeah. No, it's true. It's actually uh, to be noticed and celebrated. Yeah. As messy and painful and confusing as it is. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. Then, we, then we get to look at messiness and confusion and, you know, why everything is unsatisfying, as yeah. Trump would say. Yeah. yeah. And I and I, I feel like that's kind of where where I notice a lot of the, the, you know, the edges around this come in because it's 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 so easy to blame the teacher, you know, or just to or, or to blame someone like as if there's some bad actor who's just. You know, like if they just got it, you know, <laughs> we'd have this all figured out and everyone would be nice to each other and we'd have kind communities. And I like, know, no, no, sorry. No, <laughs> that's how, that's how I was going to say most people, certainly a whole lot of people, uh, they think that the world is defective because it doesn't line up with their fantasy of how the world should be. Sure. sure. Instead of looking at, the world versus what it was, you know, where we've come from, right? you know, where we are, where we're going and, and to drop the fantasies and, you know, become friendly to the reality of we are evolving beings in an evolving cosmos or something like that. Yeah. And we're getting somewhere. That's where, you know, I think the Buddhists need to jump from the endless wheel of suffering where it just mm-hmm. keeps going round and round to the endless spiral of yeah. suffering. Yeah. So like that, that. You know, we could see that we're still suffering, but we're getting somewhere. And yeah. that's, that's, I think, a fourth turning in Buddhism, if you will. Yeah. Um, so in this territory of really opening ourselves up to multiple streams of wisdom, and, you know, integralists are sort of, we can't help ourselves. We want to do that. It's hard to stay in one, you know, tradition. Yeah. How about uh, God? You know, that's another God. thing that. Um, I love God. Oh, boy. Tell me about that. <laughs> I mean, I agree. It's it's one of the harder things. Um, and I didn't grow up in a religious, in a, in a monotheistic uh, family. So it's especially been hard for me. I, I, but I did grow up in the, in, in the South and uh, so- Southern Baptist country. Okay. So that makes it even harder, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but I, you know, hanging out in, in the integral scene, um, meeting father Thomas Keating, you know, and seeing him teach, um, like it, it gave me a reference point for the fact that there are these tremendously profound, um, Christian contemplatives, and that what they were what they were talking about with God um, was different than you know, the kind of the God that I had understood, and I could see that there was something totally profound and powerful there. And I, I, I still love you know Wilbur's three faces of spirit teaching, you know, and how it's like there is this sort of mystery that you know sometimes we experience it as our own basic nature, and sometimes we experience it as the sort of mystery of the, of life and the universe and God, you know, and it's, it's like teaching us. It's, it's guiding us. In there, some there's, way. there's a personal something there. Yeah. Some, it's somebody. Yes. It's a loving intelligence that sees me back. Yes. That's that second person of God. Yeah. And wants, you know? wants the best for me and us. Yeah. And is constantly trying to kind of get us 
yes. on the path. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> and it's okay when we fall off. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, just to round that out, I mean, so we have the first person, which is, you know, a lot of the opening of awareness and turning subject into object and yes. becoming bigger and more spacious and including more and uh, hallelujah around first person. Yeah. And then there's that second person, which is some different. It's, it's the being seen and loved and yeah. cared for. And, you know, there's, I could talk to this thing, yeah. you know, person. Yeah, and then lot. there's, and yes. And then the third person of God, which is the it if you will, and it's the natural world. So it's nature mysticism. It's uh, seeing the sky and the clouds and the animals and, you know, the world, this manifest reality, and to have a spiritual relationship with that. Yeah, yeah. And, that, and those three things together, you know, even though they've been at war for centuries, literally, mm. um, can be included in an integral spiritual practice. Yeah, I like that. So how about, um, you know, angels and, uh, you know, I just did an interview with Sean Espiorn Hargens on nice. his new EXO studies, which is oh, take, taking aliens seriously. It's my last podcast. And he's taking aliens seriously. And mm. he's had experiences and he, you know, he's read all the books and he's put it together and he's created this EXO studies institute. Um, and then, you know, there's the, the uh, Urantia, I did Brian Belitzo's interview, and there's, of course, all these seraphims and angels and this whole cosmology that's, I don't yeah. know, what do you think? <laughs> I don't know what to think. Yeah, I, I, I don't either. I mean, my family religion was kind of alien stuff. Oh, really? So I had, yeah, I had a sort of agnostic, new agey kind of family, and, and they were like really into aliens. So that was my you know, upbringing, which I had to like, you know, that was the family religion I had to, to transcend. Yeah. 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 So there's part of me that will always kind of, I think, be a little like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. But there's another part of me, I, I, I've noticed this with, um, especially the people I know, and I've had experiences of this too, but especially the people I know, like my wife, who are really gifted at concentration. Like they can sit down focus and then they are like in all kinds of altered state consciousness the body disappears the universe disappears they're like out there those people seem to very consistently have those kind of ways of understanding the universe yeah um and i think they're tapped into something um yeah. well you know we could even look at vajrayana buddhism Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and we deal with all of the deities and we feed ourselves to them and we relate to them very, very deeply and very precisely in all kinds of ways. And, you know, I would talk to these Vajrayana teachers and I, I would say, so that's all like happening in your own sort of consciousness, right? That's not really happening, right? They would never go, they, they wouldn't cop to that. You know, the, yeah. the, there's actually, there's, we're actually accessing dimensions of intelligence and personality and God only knows what yes. that are real in a way that we didn't realize. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the position of saying like that's only happening in your consciousness is itself a kind of dualistic and particularly the dualism of mind body. You yep. know, uh, or, or, or self world, 
like that those things are somehow disconnected and you're just over here having your own hallucination. Right. Um, but it's like, but when a lot of people have the same kinds of hallucinations, um, then it's like, it's not really a hallucination anymore. Right. It's, it's a right. shared reality. Right. And at any rate, you're changed by them. Yeah. You yeah. Know. I mean, so it call it what you them. will, uh, the effects are real. Yeah. And so that leads me to then, uh, I know another area of interest for you, and that's psychedelics, because we're talking about, you know, some of the same territory here. It's, yeah. It's, really it's just sort of the express route. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had, so, is, is that, has that been part of your path? Uh, it has, absolutely. Not for years. Um, yeah. And I never did a whole lot of psychedelics, but I did love me my mushrooms, probably, <laughs> probably a dozen times. Uh-huh. Yeah. And um, I am so grateful mm. for what I uh, saw on mm. mushrooms because you can't unsee it. Right. Yeah. You know, and that has informed. So, you know, I, I saw a territory that I was able to then find my way to in other ways. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I'm not sure I would have without him. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. Um, I spoke to uh, Roland Griffiths, who's the lead researcher at Johns Hopkins doing their psilocybin research stuff. And he's a longtime uh, Vipassana practitioner. And he did a whole, you know, I'm sure you're aware of this, but he did a whole study working with longtime meditators who hadn't done psychedelics, but they'd done decades of practice. And they came in, did psychedelics, and, you know, it was hugely beneficial, like across the board. Uh, it, it ended up being some of the most significant experiences that, that most of them had had. And that was like after, you know, decades of Zen sashins and you know, retreats and, you know, profound, profound contemplative experiences. Uh, and that's, that's kind of how I got into the whole psychedelic mess too, is I, I, I was a straight edge, um, you know, meditator for a long time and then kind of wanted to see like, well, what, what is this about? And, you know, the people, especially as a teacher, you know, so many students come in through that doorway and I had no clue, you know, what it is that they were experiencing. So I just wanted to kind of see, and for me, you know, doing psilocybin the first time, it was like very clearly the same kind of ego dissolution process. And I could kind of track it in the same way I tracked my practice. And, uh, at the, but at the same time, it was fast and furious. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and physically, the visual feel, visual phenomena was different for me. And it kind of was very interesting and, and and the sense of being connected to the earth and to my ancestors um, yeah. in a way that I hadn't experienced yeah. doing Buddhist practice. And then cool. also having a really losing my, losing my um, shit one time doing psilocybin. The fourth time I did it, it was like a big dose and I was stressed and it was really in retrospect, like a immature move. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I lost uh, touch with consensual reality for, on and off for a few days uh, in, in a way that was really scary. Um, and I learned, I ended up learning a lot from that experience, but it also showed me how dangerous it can yeah. be yeah. to do well, that. That's what's so encouraging to me is to see these drugs that we baby boomers thought were just fun. 
Mm. And they weren't always fun. I had my share of bad trips too, or certainly portions of trips that were bad. Mm -hmm. uh, that to take these seriously as entheogens, right? The the medicine that brings you God. Mm -hmm. uh, to take them seriously as uh, means of insight and practice, and to have you know some lower right build up around that, some structures build up around yes. that. Yes. Is, I think tremendous progress in terms of human spiritual development. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm I'm excited about the future of psychedelic dharma, and you know, um, there's a whole generation of people coming up who are actively figuring out how to hybridize um, those those practices and those domains in a way that I think will be really interesting. You know, when it's okay to, more okay to come out of the yeah. the, so, the proverbial closet and, right yeah yeah and it's becoming more and more okay i mean it is yeah and then there's you know just the sort of march of progress it's, it's so quaint to put it that way but the just natural development of consciousness i I just came back from a workout with my trainer who is not particularly trained in any of this stuff Mm. Uh, but he has this meditation app on his phone. Yes. It's been tremendously helpful to him in yeah. terms of managing issues and so forth. And also he tells me about how he parents his little four-year-old daughter with her emotions and how things will pass. And she's aware of how things come and go now. And she reminds him that things come and go when she sees him. And, it, and it's like, what is going on here? It's, you know, it's a whole new ball game. It's just consciousness just continues to race, basically. Yeah. Across yeah, the board. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the mindfulness movement is really, you know, in a lot of ways, it's uh, been a big part of that. And Yeah. So, um, so what's next then for Vince and the Buddhist geeks and um, what are you excited about? Well, one, one thing I've been excited about is um, coming up with new financial models for how to how to teach deep dharma and in this pragmatic dharma training I've, i think i finally hit on something after a lot of years of trying different things um which is it's, it's very simple but it's kind of going back to the roots of generosity in the tradition and i was teaching recently up until recently through a for-profit uh, enterprise meditate.io and I, I, I just found I, at a certain point I couldn't do it anymore. There was something that wasn't working for me in my heart and kind of went by, by charging a particular, you know, doing a price. service yeah. Yeah. model. Um, it just, and I, I, it really started to hit me as some of the longer term students that I'd had started doing these incredibly generous things to support you know, me and my family um, during difficult times, I just realized how much that was lacking in the, in the models and structures I was using and how different it was to say, teach a retreat um, and do it in the, in the sort of generosity based model, um, the, the quote unquote Donna model. Um, and that I just found worked so much better than pay, than a pay for service model. How, how does it work? 
Well, you, you know, the, the way it works is when people come on retreat, um, at the very end of the retreat, they're invited to give um, to support the teachers and the teachers don't make money from the registration fees for the retreat. Um, so it makes the cost of the retreat lower and thus lowers the, the bar of accessibility. People can more easily attend. And then what we found was we ended up, uh, as teachers, we actually ended up bringing home twice as much money than we did when we set our own price. Uh, and we felt more connected to people and more in like human relationship with others. So it was just like across the board, there wasn't a single thing I could find that didn't, that was better in the pay for service model for what we were doing. Um, and so I've wow. been trying to figure out, but that said, it didn't translate to the digital world so well. Hmm. Um, and to like leading online classes and, you know, and doing like programs, uh, online. So mm -hmm. that's what I've been trying to figure out is, you know, mm -hmm. how to, to bring that spirit of generosity to uh, digital types of learning situations. And um, I was really inspired by the, the whole recommended donation thing that happens in a lot of communities where you, it's kind of like a compromise between the sort of pure generosity model of like, do whatever you want, which sometimes works out really well if it's the right situation. And sometimes means you make nothing as a, right. as a teacher. Right. And I've seen both. Uh, and so, you know, what I did with this program was to say, listen, this, this program, this training isn't, it's not pay for service. It's donation based, but I'm going to tell you what the suggested donation is. You know, and this is what I think I need to make for this to work. Um, I'm going to tell you the average that people in the training are actually giving right now. This is the average. Um, and I'm going to tell you the range. You know, this is the bottom end and the top end of what people are giving. And then I'm going to ask you to look at, you know, what is the, if you live outside of the U.S., what's the exchange rate like compared to the dollar? Because the dollar is really high right now. And, you know, what, what feels like too much? What feels like too little? You know, kind of questions that are related, like they're, they're contemplative questions of like, how do I relate to money? and to generosity and to things that I value and how do I, you know, how do I engage with that? Um, and, and what I've been really surprised to find doing this is that, um, I'm, I'm making more than enough to live. I'm, I'm close to the goal that I had in terms of my hourly rate and it's sustainable and it works. And I want to figure out how to replicate that kind of model. Um, uh, but, but not do it so that I'm trying to work with like a bazillion students, but replicate it more like cells replicate, you know, where it's kind of, there's a more of a kind of, there's a horizontal growth that can happen and not just to kind of scale it up to infinity and beyond, right. um, you know, kind of, um, hyper-capitalist sort of model. Right. Tony Robbins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Headspace, you know, that. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, good on you, man. And Godspeed figuring that out because I think that too is next. You know, we have to actually, you know, we talked about liberating power in distribute, redistributing and just rethinking power lineages and transmission and all of that. Yeah. And this too needs that, the, the whole financial piece. Economics. Yeah. yeah. Because people, the, you know, there's just so much bad karma or that still has to be burned in, in a way around that. People have resentment about uh, paying for spiritual teachings, they have confusion around that. Uh, yet, 
teachers need to live. They have families that, you know, it's a whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, I've been, I've been really enjoying reading a book called The Structure of World History um, by this uh, philosopher named Kojin Karatani. He's a Japanese philosopher. And he, he's, he's sort of very interestingly looking at kind of reinterpreting Marxist theory, you know, which looked at everything as like who controls the modes of production controls, you know, controls everything. And he, he sort of reframed that as, as there are modes of exchange, you know, and, and there's a, you know, throughout our history, we have these different modes of exchange. You know, we have this reciprocal gift giving that arose, you know, in the sort of um, uh, archaic, you know, and uh, magical cultures. And then, you know, and then with the, you said the blue or amber meme, you had, you know, the sort of like protect and, you know, kind of uh, defer, you know, and, and send your, send your, send all your resources to this person and they'll yes. kind of take care of you. <laughs> I forget what the name he uses for that. And then, you know, and then in the, in the, you know, the Greek, you know, the orange meme and industrial Western industrial revolution, that the mode of exchange became the capital nation state. You know, you had this kind of coming together of these three, um, pieces and, you know, able to have this sort of impersonal capital exchange that was regulated by, you know, by the, by the nation and yes. the, the state represented the sort of the culture and the values, uh, of, of, the, of the, of the nation and the people yep. within it. And he, what he posits is that there is a fourth mode of exchange, um, that is a return back to at a higher level the reciprocal gift giving and you know he and and, and, nom, and uh, nomad nomadicism um and you can see the whole emergence of digital the digital nomad culture and it's like it's like it feels like we're kind of at the edge yes. of trying to figure out what you know new forms of economic yes. Yes. could be there and one of the very most interesting things in this book is he he cites a few examples of where he thinks this has emerged very briefly um, in, in, in history, because he, he also says these aren't things that are just developmental. They've all coexisted all the time. Like capitalists were in, you know, existing well before capitalism became the dominant mode. And there's still gift, reciprocal, reciprocal gift giving in families, you know, even though we have a very strong capitalist society. And, you know, it, it, so what he pointed out is that in the early Christian and Buddhist communities, they represented in emer the emergence of this this uh, new mode of exchange in a very kind of brief and yeah. a small way, and so I, I found that amazing because it was like, oh yeah, like my tradition has this, like I can actually go back and retrieve and move forward and evolve. Yeah. Um, so no, that's, that's something I'm really curious about. Yeah. No, that's fantastic, and it just you know reminds me that something I've been seeing over and over, and that is what's next is uh, consists of some part of going back and bringing the, particularly that magenta, yes. archaic, um, you know, it's, so it's, it's what you're talking about. It's also deep community. Yes. How do yes. we get deep community now? Yeah. You know, how, how the fuck do we get deep community now? Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know, but that's, I want to love my way into the answer. I want to love that question. Yeah, And the other one is just the re-enchantment of the world in general. Yeah. The, the magic of the world. Yeah. 
so we can look around and feel like we are supposed to be here. And so is everything else. And, and here we are. And it's a, it's a miracle, you know? Yeah. And we're not just like a, a like an evolutionary mistake. That's like right. yes. just ruining our planet and just, yes. you know, yes. <laughs> although that's, also true. <laughs> That's also true. But, you know, we can look even as you were talking about going back and looking at these stages of the development of how economic systems evolved. You can yeah. see that, you know, some of them are stupid and brutal and they have all kinds of downsides, but they were the next thing. Yeah. That's what right. took humanity to the then the next thing and the next thing. And that we could be friendly as integralists to that process yeah. without becoming, you know, ignorant of its downsides, including you know, the current downsides. Yeah. So yeah. anything else, anything we miss, anything else you want to put on the table here? No, just, just, just that. Um, I've been really, yeah, grateful to come back around to the, to the whole integral vision. And, you know, I think in my own personal journey, you know, I had to deconstruct my way out of a relationship to integral that wasn't integral at all. Like I was a young, you know, when, when I worked with you and worked for you, I was a young punk, you know, and I was trying to make sense of the whole integral thing in terms of like a grand theory. Right. You know? And yeah. that was a big, you know, it was a big realization to like go into the deep source code of integral and, and discover like Robert Keegan and, you know, start doing his immunity change process and see, Oh, in fact, I have all these assumptions that, haven't been tested and, you know, to deconstruct my way out of that process um, and, and then somehow come back around mm -hmm. you know, has been a really surprising mm -hmm. and, um, and it's also been really fueled by Trump um, you know, as a catalyst. Like I don't want to be trying to tear the thing down from up here that he's tearing down from below because if we tear it down too quickly and we don't have something to replace it, we're fucked. Right. Um, so yeah. I just, you know, I just, I guess I just want to say like, it's really vitally important that people move through the pluralistic stage of development so that we can start to imagine and get in touch with new forms of community and practice that um, will give us, you know, the strength and the insight and the conviction necessary to let the old world die and to re, you know, to create something new together that actually, or at the very minimum, we can survive. <laughs> but you know, more than that, to thrive. Um, yeah, beautifully put. Yeah, I, I concur one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, no, that's the project we're working on here. So yeah, thank you. Th yeah, thank you, Vince, for your wonderful work. It's so fun to see how you've blossomed since the Integral Institute days. And I did not see you as a punk. I saw you as, a, as somebody <laughs> who actually got something done. It was great. Thank you. So, all right. Well, thanks, Vince Horn. Thank you, uh, yeah, and thanks everybody for listening to the Daily Evolver. See you next time. This is Jeff Salzman signing off. Mm -hmm.